Good morning. It's always a blessing to be able to preach, and uh, I found that Grace is a home church for me, uh, so I get to see faces that I love and uh, bring the word. And uh, this morning, uh, I I wanted to bring a a word for us as we enter into a new year. Uh, I know we're a weekend to 2023, but um, as we move in, we kind of have a clean slate. I'm a a goal setter, a, a habit type of guy. And uh, this morning, I want us to, to consider what will 2023 be like? We've already prayed about it this morning, and I, I want us to, to ask ourselves, what will we allow to influence our lives this year? Um, but before we jump into the sermon, I want to pray uh, and just ask God to be with us. So bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning. Help us to focus on you. Help us to see Christ in your word. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this gospel. I pray that we would walk away having seen Jesus, having met with you this morning, having been influenced by your spirit this morning. We thank you for your grace. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, So one of my my favorite phrases as a health coach and as just a, a diet conscious person is you are what you eat. If you eat junk food, you will become junk. If you eat peanut butter and jelly, you will become peanut butter and jelly. Um, But in all seriousness, um, you hear that phrase because what we eat changes our whole body. It changes how we feel, how we exercise, all of that. But I also thought about this phrase, you become what you behold. You become who you behold. And uh, my kids are a perfect example of becoming like they behold. Um, Naomi is our disciplinarian child, and she dishes it out just like her father. And uh, I didn't realize how angry and loud I can be until I heard her dishing it out to her little sisters. Um, But in all seriousness, she picked that up from me. You do this. You go do that. And I sit back and I think, am I that demanding? But I am. And so God has used her to shape me. But another example is prayer. Naomi tends to pray like me. You know, dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. And then Eliza is more like Kim. You know, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for everything. And then JoJo thanks God for every little thing she can think of. And they pick that up from their mom. I'm more of a to the point. I have a goal for prayer. Kim is more of she's just thanking God for being alive. And uh, it's really cool just to see that because we know that our influence is rubbing off on our children. But as Christians, we rub off on each other as well. And we're called to live together in community, unity, and fellowship with one another. So if we're spending our dinners, our football games, our restful Sunday afternoons together, we're going to move beyond superficial Christianity into real living. We're going to move into that influence. And it's during these moments that we get to rub off on each other. It's manhood weekend. It's, it's all these different, these different ways of being around each other that we get to sharpen each other. The Bible says iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. One godly woman sharpens her sisters. And I want you to think back with me to those mature Christians in your life who are worthy of admiration and imitation. What made you want to be like them? What makes them pop into your mind? That's what Paul is speaking of this morning in our passage, Philippians 3, 17 to 21. Now, as human beings, as people who have been affected by the fall, we're inclined by the sin in our nature to imitate sinners, right? 
We're, we're inclined to imitate people who are ungodly because we're ungodly. We see that on the playground. We see that in the world around us. If one ungodly person does something, other people will do it as well. So our main point this morning is that apart from Jesus, we will not be able to imitate rightly. So we must choose who we will imitate. This year in 2023, we must choose who we will imitate. It's not a matter of if we will imitate. It's a matter of who and what will we imitate. So let's take a look at what Paul is teaching the Philippians about imitation here in uh, chapter 3. So uh, number one is we need to imitate godly examples. Read verse 17 with me. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Uh, so Paul is exhorting his brothers and sisters in Christ to be imitators of himself and of other believers. When I was in high school, and one street ball was the best basketball on the planet. You had Half Man Amazing. You had Hot Sauce. You had The Professor. And they could do all of these crazy basketball moves. And guess what you could see at basketball practice on Monday after we watched the and one mixtape? We were doing this crazy basketball stuff that our coaches hadn't taught us. It's not fundamental basketball. Do not do it. You're in trouble. Now, if we had been imitating LeBron James or Steph Curry, then we might have been in good shape. That's who the kids are imitating today. You see, we've got to imitate the right examples because those are the ones who help us. And Paul is saying, imitate me and set your eyes on good examples. And so one of the, the things he says, he says, uh, imitate me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really feel as though that's something I want to come up here and say on a Sunday morning. Hey, everybody, imitate me. But Paul, he's not being prideful. He's not exhibiting some sort of false confidence He's not saying imitate me as though there is no warrant or no evidence. Paul is saying follow me because I follow Christ. He actually says that in 1 Corinthians 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I want you to see how Paul was worthy of imitation. In uh, Philippians 1.16, he preached the true gospel to the Philippians. In Philippians 1.27, he, he actually lived the manner that is worthy of the gospel. Philippians 2, 1 through 11, he exhorted the Philippians to live with Christ-like selflessness that he also lived out. Uh, 2, 8, 2, 12 through 18, he commanded them to live out their faith as lights in the world the way he lived as a light in the world. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, he rejected false teachers with love as we should reject false teachers with love. And in chapters 3, verses 4 through 16, he humbly viewed his accomplishments and sanctification through the lens of the cross. Ultimately, Paul is worthy of imitation because he knows his imperfection, and he knows the gospel, and he knows the God of the gospel who has transformed him. And that's who he's following. So he's saying, follow me as I follow Christ. And I want you to look back at chapter 3, verse 12. He says, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus made me his own. He's not saying imitate me because I'm perfect, that I've already reached the standard, that I've hit the climax and you all need to follow me. No, what he's saying is I know I haven't obtained it, but 
I press on because Jesus has made me his own. Because of the gospel, I keep on pressing, and I'm letting you know you can follow me because I'm following him. The most godly people we know are the ones who can admit their flaws and point you to Jesus even in their struggles and failures. But then Paul says in verse 17, keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And uh, a couple of examples uh, literally in Philippians were Epaphroditus and Timothy. In chapter 2, they actually gave their lives for the work of the gospel. But Paul's not just saying follow the church leaders. Those who, he says follow those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul's command to keep their eyes on is to concentrate on a single purpose for sanctification. It's, it's give your full focus and attention. And in a world that is clamoring for our attention, we must focus on God's examples. We must focus on godly Christians. And Paul's humble enough, he's confident enough in the work of the gospel to command the Philippians to watch other saints as well. The most godly saints in the church aren't always the ones who stand up here and lead. A lot of them are you. They're people like you that are worshiping God day in and day out, reading your Bible faithfully. I think of a lady named Debbie who for the past four or five, maybe seven years, has read through the Bible faithfully every year. She doesn't lead worship. She doesn't teach. She doesn't do anything popular or big in the church. But her faithful example has helped me and many others keep reading our Bibles. But also Hebrews tells us to benefit from the lives of godly saints who have already passed on into glory. So we are to imitate others. We're not the type of Christians who say we follow God only. We read the Bible only. No, we follow people who follow God as well because God has given us examples to follow. So what does imitation look like in the church today? What does it look like for us to imitate other godly believers? It looks like being a church and a people committed to discipleship. We hear that word, we say that word, but what is discipleship? Mark Dever, uh, author of Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, he defines discipleship as living out the whole Christian life before others. Living out the whole Christian life before others. And for discipleship, we understand that every Christian is a disciple. We are all being poured in by somebody. Ultimately, we are all being poured into by Christ, but there are other believers pouring into us. Every Christian is called to make disciples. Who are you sharing your life with? Who are you pouring yourself out for? And every Christian is stirring fellow believers to more faith and more discipleship. We are stirring each other up. We come here to worship. We come here to receive the word, to use our gifts, to stir one another up, to go out Monday through Saturday to be on mission. And this means that we're going to need a willingness to pull other people into our lives beyond church services. How can you give your whole life to people one hour or two hours a week? You got to be in other, each other's lives. We've also got to have honesty about our strengths and our weaknesses. When we fail, we admit it. We share those struggles with people. When we succeed, we give glory to Christ. And in order for discipleship, we must have kingdom-mindedness to call the people we disciple to go and make disciples. 
And the big picture here is that we are to point and be pointed to Jesus and his powerful work in the gospel. This is the aim of discipleship, and that is what is worthy of imitation. Am I pointing you to Jesus, and who are you pointing to Jesus? So what happens if we don't do this? What is the call? The the call is to flee ungodly imitators. Look at verses 19 to 20. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. Some imitation is bad. One of the clearest pictures of bad imitation is Israel. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, they cry out, God, make us like other nations. Give us a king like they have. They imitated the world and they rejected God, their king. And we must watch, who is dis- or we must watch and be discerning about who we imitate. God is calling us to look away from wicked people, wicked, selfish enemies of the cross, and to look to him, look to his people. And in the context, Paul is speaking to the Philippians about the dogs who weren't tr- of the true circumcision. We see that in chapter 3, verse 2. Like Israel of old, we need to guard against setting our eyes on imitating worldly, ungodly people around us. So let's take a closer look at what Paul has to say here. Failure to stay the course and imitate Christ and other godly saints leads us away from the cross. You see this. It says they walk as enemies of the cross. False teachers creep into churches, and Jesus said we would know them by their fruit. Some of the greatest deceivers in the church today, they profess to be Christians. They profess to be brothers and sisters in Christ, but they deny the gospel in word and in deed. And in the context of the Philippians, they were likely dealing with legalists, trying to force Christians into Judaism, this, this legalistic Christianity. They would have been enemies of the cross because their legalistic teaching would have pointed people to vain self-confidence and glory in themselves rather than in God. But I want you to hear this morning, anything that adds or subtracts from the gospel makes people enemies of the cross. Anything. So we've got to fight. We've got to fight from any sort of influence in our lives that takes our focus away from Jesus and away from the cross. And Paul's response, though, I want you to hear this, is not arrogance. It's not hardness or or haughtiness. It's one of tears. If we see people being deceived, being drawn away from the gospel, being drawn away from Christ, it should cause us deep grief. I've watched people close to me walk away from Jesus and choose the Mosaic Law as their way of salvation, their way of hope. I've seen close friends, people in my home, reject Jesus, reject the New Testament, reject the gospel so that they can live out the Old Testament law. And it's one of the grievous things I've dealt with. We need more tears in the church today. Social media has hardened us. It makes us, it's easy to write somebody off. It's easy to gossip and slander somebody. Publicly point out their flaws and write them off because our favorite people have written about it and have said the same thing. It's easy to hit the like button. We need more tears in the church today. It should grieve us to see people walk away from the gospel and imitate ungodly people. Look at the consequences. Their end 
is destruction. We should be hurt when we see people walk towards eternal suffering away from God. They become enemies of the cross. The atonement and work of Jesus becomes null and void for those people. That should bring us to tears as it did Paul. So if we're going to avoid imitating the wrong people, what are the characteristics of such people? Paul says their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. They set their minds on earthly things. Now, in the context, this probably describes the Judaizers. Uh, their God is their belly. They're preoccupied with the food laws. They, they glory in their shame. They glory in circumcision and law-keeping and self-righteousness. Look at me. Look how I follow the law. Look how I tithe dill, mint, and cumin. I give everything to follow the law of Moses. They set their minds on earthly things. They set their minds on the privilege of being children of Abraham of following the rules, of being good people, of having ethnic privilege. But this description of people that we shouldn't follow describes all people who deny the cross in their lives. And church, I want to remind you this morning, they may be professing believers. Paul is not warning the Philippians to avoid people out there in the world. He's talking about people in the church, people in their lives, people who can influence them. Their God is their belly. They're more concerned about their appetites than they are about Jesus. And I don't just mean physical appetite. They're more concerned about getting pleasure, seeking their own way and their own joy than Christ. They take pride and broadcast their shame for everyone to see. We see that in the world today. They glory in things that the Bible says are shameful. And ultimately, instead of being godly, Christ-minded people, they are earthly-minded people. They are worldly and ungodly. And so Paul is reminding us, he says, imitate me and set your eyes on the believers who follow the way we've taught. And then he gives you examples of who not to avoid. So this morning, I want to remind you to test every teaching according to the word of God. If believers are teaching you things and it contradicts scripture, if it's walking away from the gospel, if it's adding to the gospel, taking away from the gospel, don't imitate those people. Again, the friends I'm telling you about, the people that I told you about that I've seen walk away from the cross, it wasn't worldly atheists or, or whatever that was trying to pull them away. It was people with the Bible saying, I've got a better way for you. So you've got to watch out what you hear. But you've also got to watch the company you keep. The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. Who are you around and how are they influencing your thinking? How are you thinking about marriage? And, and how are you thinking about money and possessions? How are you thinking about God and about life when you hang around with these people? We've got to watch the company we keep. We've got to know when people are influencing us wrongly. Are they leading me more towards Christ or are they leading me more toward the world? But then more importantly than everybody else, keep your own heart. Don't be an expert in everybody else's sin and a novice in yours. Examine your heart to see if you believe the gospel. Examine your life to see if you are walking in accord with the gospel 
Have you believed in Jesus? Have you believed in the Savior who, after making purification for sin, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high? Are you following the Savior who laid down his life so that you could live? Have you confessed your sin? Have you turned from it? And are you continuing to walk in faith each and every day? Do you believe the gospel and are you living in light of it? And if you're not, run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. Run to the one worthy of imitation. Run to the one who has given everything so that you could imitate him. Run to Jesus. And that's what Paul tells us here in the, the last couple of verses of our passage. He's going to run us straight to Jesus, and that's how we're going to finish out this morning. We, we are called to imitate godly people. We're called to avoid imitating the wicked, but we're called to hope in the Savior that we do imitate. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even to subject all things to himself. Now imagine you went on a trip to Mexico and some re rebels took over the government and kidnapped you. And then our president finds out and he says, I vow to bring back every one of my citizens from this trip. You can pack your bags and you can be ready to go and you can have hope that you're going to be rescued, not because of anything that you've done or not because you demand that the rebels let you go, but because you are an American citizen and your president says he is coming to get you. Christians, we are part of a heavenly kingdom and God has promised that his son will come back to get us. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will be back to get you. And that shapes how we live, that shapes how we wait, that shapes who we watch for, and that shapes how we walk. So how do we wait? If you look at verse 20, it says our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, what comes out of our citizenship is waiting for a Savior. But the ESV did not do this justice. The word for, that word await is actually eagerly waiting. From it, from our citizenship in heaven, we are eagerly waiting for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's greater than if the president promised to come get you because the president might not be able to, but Jesus is able. He's the faithful son of God. He's the king. He's the lamb. He's the God who upholds the universe. He's the Lord of all the earth. When men can't help you, when you can't help yourself, look what it says about Jesus. He is able to subject all things to himself. We await the Savior who can subject all things to himself. He doesn't need us to protect him. He doesn't need an army to protect him. He can protect himself. Nobody can stop him. And look what he can do. He can transform our lowly body, our humiliated body, our, our, he's going to make us glorious. Our mortal bodies, he's going to make them immortal. Our sinful bodies, he's going to make them sinless. Our imperfect bodies, he is going to make them perfect. The resurrecting power of Jesus is, the, is from our citizenship. When we, when we look at Jesus from our citizenship, that resurrecting power is what gets us excited. 
Jesus didn't land in the grave and stay there like all of us will. He got up after three days. Remember, he said, I lay my life down that I may take it up again. And that's the power that will transform us. That's the power that we await for. It says he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. His body was made glorious. His body was glorified through his resurrection. What, is, what Paul is saying here is the power that raised Jesus is the power that's going to give us a glorious body. The resurrection power of Jesus is going to come back and change us and shape us and, and completely reorient everything about us. We're going to be completely glorious. Nothing in this earth, none of the pain, the suffering, any of that will remain when Jesus comes back for us. That's what we await from our citizenship. So how do we walk? Paul says we walk as citizens of heaven. We walk as citizens in heaven. In a split second, America could be gone. We would no longer be citizens of America. We'd be citizens of somewhere else. But even deeper than that, in a split second, in the twinkling of an eye, Christ could return. And Peter, in 1 Peter, says this, if this is true, what sort of people ought we be in lives of holiness and godliness? If we take Seriously, the reality that Christ could come back in a twinkling of an eye. We will live holy and godly lives. We won't live as worldlings. We'll live as pilgrims. We will live as ambassadors here to represent our nation, our kingdom. And we must live as though this life isn't all there is. Because Christ is coming back to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. By his power. Our heavenly citizenship should change everything about us. It should shape how we discuss politics. It should change how we handle disagreements about masks and vaccines. It should shape how we pursue racial equality and unity. It should change how we respond to homosexual uh, behavior, transgenderism, biblically, not according to the world. How we help the poor, orphans, and widows, biblically, not according to the world. How we view immigrants and sojourners, biblically, not according to the world. How we live every moment, biblically, not according to the world. As citizens of heaven, everything in this realm should be shaped by the heavenly realm. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about these things. I'm saying we should let the word of God, we should let the kingdom of God, we should um, follow the spirit of God and his leading in all of these areas. And not just in these areas, but all of life. Ultimately, our love for God, our citizenship in heaven should shape how we love God and love our neighbors because those are the greatest commandments. So I want to ask you, how is your heavenly citizenship shaping your life and your thoughts and your worldview. This ought to form our worldview more than anything else. And it's from this that we learn about the gospel. It's through believing the gospel that we become citizens of a new kingdom. But lest I uh, leave you with to-do items and how to be a good Christian and all this stuff without the gospel, I want to finish with this. The gospel makes us worthy of imitation. 
you don't make yourself worthy of imitation. I don't want you to walk away from this sermon and go home and write up a list of goals on how to be a better Christian and then never rely on the gospel. Paul says this, Philippians chapter 2, Therefore, my beloved, this is verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you stop there, go do better. Go work hard, try hard. That's what it would sound like to us. But then verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and work for his good pleasure. That's life-changing truth. The way you become worthy of imitation is by working out your salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who gives you the good desire and who gives you the ability to work it out. It's God from the start, it's God at the finish, and it's God all throughout. It doesn't mean we don't pursue holiness. It doesn't mean you don't write a list of goals or habits or anything. It doesn't mean you don't pick out a few people to read and study and imitate and learn from and sit and have coffee with. But what it does mean is you've got to have the gospel if you want to be worthy of imitation. Jesus says this in his uh, prayer in John 17. I do not ask that you take them out of this world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world just as I am not of this world. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. But then listen to these words. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. We are made holy by God. We are made holy by the truth of God's word. We are made holy by the spirit of God. We are made holy as we behold our Savior who died on the cross, who rose again, and who transforms us from the inside out. None of that comes from ourselves. That is all from God. So don't look at yourself in the mirror in 2023 and watch yourself walk all year long. Get your eyes off yourself. And get your eyes onto Christ. So that when you look in the mirror, you see a reflection of Jesus, not yourself. And then when someone follows you, they're actually following Jesus because you're following Jesus and reflecting him. This is the call for us today. Those of us who have had our hearts changed by the gospel and our eyes set on the Savior, we can live lives worthy of imitation. And we can follow people who are worthy to be imitated. Read, verses, uh, read chapter 4, verse 1 in Philippians with me. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. That's my call for you in 2023. Imitate who needs to be imitated. Avoid those who don't need to be imitated. And live a life worthy of imitation by standing firm thus in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I'm a weak man and I feel my weakness every time I preach. Every time I have coffee with somebody. Every time I reflect on my life and my day. 
But that's what the gospel is for. It's for weak people, people who don't always get it right, people who don't nail it every time, people who don't get 100 on every test. In fact, we would get a zero apart from Christ. Lord, I pray that the hearts of the saints this morning would be moved to imitate you, Jesus, to imitate Christ. I pray that we would find godly people to be around, to spend our lives with day in and day out. I pray that we would rely on you to live lives worthy of imitation because of our hope in Christ. We are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And I pray that we would live in that way so that people can see us, imitate us, and ultimately be imitating you, Lord. Help us to see the gospel. Help us to see the cross. Humble us, Lord. Help us to look away from ourselves and look to you. It's in Christ's name, amen.